What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 72 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we will talk about gear trends over the past few decades, some of our favorites and some of our not-so-favorites. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Frank Ferrer, drummer for Guns N' Roses. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Drumlight LED system. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Man, that is... I'm not going to lie. I know it was my pick of the week a while ago, but that Hydro Flask tea keeps that tea warm. Oh, my God. <laughs> it needs to have the, a thermometer on it, like a little yeah, digital oh, thermometer. That's... Oh, it's a game-changing idea. Move to the West Coast. <laughs> we're making a company. It's called the Don't Burn Yourself Flask. It's going to be awesome. How are you, bud? Cold, man. I know we always have to start out talking about it. It's our obligatory weather talk. but yes. Holy smokes, it's cold over here on the East Coast. Yeah, you have some weird vortex going on. Is that right? Yeah, I guess Siberia is sending some of its wind over. Yeah. It is so cold. It's like 20 degrees and windy and like snow just Ooh. kind of flying through the sky constantly. Man, I'm heading to Indiana and I check the weather. I'm, heading, I'm going there on Sunday and I check the weather and it is four degrees without the wind chill. Yeah, they got it worse right now. Oh, <laughs> God. Is there any way that they can have summer by Sunday? Because that's absolutely not. <laughs> you don't understand. I don't own anything. Like I'm, you can see me. I'm currently in my my warmest <laughs> gear, which is a long sleeve t shirt. Yeah, uh, you're gonna be hurting. I mean, I'm wearing <clears throat> I'm wearing Under Armour and and hats and gloves and three oh. jackets and it's not fun. I'm gonna tell them. Look, I'm not trying to be a prima donna, but you need to pick me up at the front of the hotel. But like, I want you like, I want your door, your car door needs to be touching the the hotel's door. Like, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to experience elements. You need security uh, detail with parkas or whatever. Yes, I need people just like blowing hot air on me at all times. I can't handle this. I'm not cut out for this, man. Anyways, uh, no it worries. should be fun. I get to go to Sweetwater. Have you ever been to Sweetwater in Indiana? No, we just did. Oh. Uh, we just did a profile on them though for social media. We uh, Miguel went and visited him. Oh, and interviewed it's amazing. Randy and and uh, Nick and and kind of checked out the whole thing. But yeah. I've never been. It's incredible. I've, I went there for uh, for Gretsch, and one thing that I really love, and, and I mean, I think we have a lot of great small drum shops that that this is the only way they knew, know how to do things. But it's great to see a, a more of a big box uh, online retailer do the same thing. They don't their their employees can't sell the product until they learn all about the product. So to be able to sell Gretsch even on the phone. They had to sit through this huge seminar of myself and at the time the head of product development, John Palmer, and we walked them through every Gretsch kit from John Palmer's point of view, like why why did we make this kit? And then my point of view as the drummer, why would I play this kit? And then every single employee had to come up on stage after that was over, and we're talking like two hundred people, and talk to us individually about every wing nut, every you know, every little ounce of that drum set had to be talked about. It was really quite impressive so that's super um, cool i often forget that they started out as a recording company they were just selling actually I yeah. guess they were like a mobile recording uh truck or something originally yeah and they still do a lot of boutique gear which is really cool in that world i mean they have mm-hmm. preamps from a guy that's making them out of his garage all the way up to the biggest and baddest preamps in the world so uh it's a cool company it's a cool culture i really like it so i'm heading there on sunday to do this is what's really cool. They're going to have Nick and I. Um, Nick, De, is it De Virgilio? I don't know how to pronounce it. That's close De Virgilio. Enough. Okay, <laughs> De Virgilio. I, I, I I've seen him on the Modern Drummer Festival and he's really good. Uh, so they're gonna they're bringing us in. Nick actually works there, and then they're flying me in, and we're gonna give a sales meeting to their entire staff about the drummer's mindset. That's it. Not Meinl, not Gretsch, not huh. any of my companies. Just here's what a drummer thinks about, and I, I want to help them understand. Not all drums are of equal value to us. Like, if you bumped in and spilled beer on my rack tom, I'd be kind of bummed. But if you spilled it on my snare drum, we'd have to throw down. Yeah, like, right. I value my snare drum more than my rack tom. And, you know, there's things that can change my entire. You could literally, if you're a parent and you're, or say you're an aunt or an uncle, and you're like, I don't know what to buy the drummer. I can't afford a kit. It's like, honestly, one cowbell will change my practice schedule for the next six weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But if you get me the cowbell without a mount, I will never have enough energy to go buy the mount. So <laughs> I want to yeah. just help their staff understand the drummer's mindset. And and we are probably the only, I guess, group of musicians that are really into sharing information 
were a, a close knit family. Uh-huh. Um, guitar players are their own breed, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, not a lot of guitar camps going on <laughs> right now, and uh, not no, a lot of guitar. They're like called like shred fests or whatever <laughs> you want to call them. Yeah, Satriani <clears throat> shows up, blazes with his back to the crowd, and he's like, "I gotta go." Take that. <laughs> so, anyways, how's uh, how's gigging life now? Do you? I'm assuming gigs don't stop just because it's cold, right? Yeah, no, I've got a couple this weekend, and actually Friday down on the shore. Yeah, it doesn't stop. I mean, it's this area is weird because it's like summertime people leave because they're all going on vacation, and then wintertime actually people are kind of around more. Winter and spring, it's holidays, sure. so you know a lot of people will be out as well, but. Winter and, and spring is like the prime time for gigs around here. So let me ask you this. We've talked a ton about warming up, but we've never really talked about physically actually warming up. Like, yeah. do you have to jump around? And I mean, because when you're cold, you play like you're cold. So yeah. how do you actually warm up your temperature? Uh, you know, usually it's just loading in and out is kind of enough. Okay. Um, and right. then I'll, I'll maybe do some just like jumping jacks if I have to get the blood going, but I don't, gotcha. I don't think about it too much. I definitely try to hit the pad a little well, bit Well, I'd assume more. you're probably not doing outdoor gigs, so. No, I've done a few. Cold. Yeah, but no. Really? Yeah, I, I did one where they had like space heaters. It didn't really, it didn't really help. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's usually indoors, so it's not too bad. But, you know, just typical warm-ups. But really, for me, I'm, I'm kind of have sticks in my hands all throughout the day. So I don't really feel like I need to really warm up for a gig. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I am kind of yeah. feel like I'm just prepared. Ready to something go. I, even when I was a kid, it's like I always had basketball shoes on because I never knew when a friend was going to come over and want to play basketball. It's like I'm That's ready awesome. to go at all times. <laughs> I don't even have to lace them up. I'm ready. Let's do this. I love it. I love it, man. Oh, awesome. Man. Yeah. So that's all right. Like- well, let's talk about – gear but in a different way normally we're reviewing gear which we'll do later in the podcast of course but we're going to talk a little bit about gear trends through the years so that's kind of funny i mean when okay so let me ask you this before we dive into it yeah what's the first thing that comes to your mind when i say gear trend like the first trend that immediately pops out to you or like i remember that power toms i think racks Oh racks! I completely yeah. forgot about racks. Yeah, yeah. That's, I remember you like the just you weren't cool unless you had Tim Alexander's rack, you know, or yeah, whoever yeah. was. So okay, power toms, nice. <laughs> All right, how about this? You pick a topic and we'll go there. Uh, pick a pick a trend and we'll start there. You want to start with the power toms, the old PTs? Well, no. Let's first say what what do you identify as a current trend? Um, <clears throat> oh, easy. And I, you know, I did. I wanted to make sure we don't go kind of like snarky with this discussion so trends oh, are no, no. you know trends are trends things are cool i mean it the reason i i brought up the topic was because having chris dave on the cover of the january issue i feel like he really is probably the most recent trendsetter for gear as sure. far as you know everyone is playing stackers and and junkies and snare and drums and snare drums and snare drums as floor toms yeah which is ironic because he never plays the same setup twice but i do think he's been he's like the guy who kind of created this trend now that it's like kind of like junkyard drum sets of whatever yep. you know whatever you want so that was the point of it so that i guess maybe i just answered the question the most current trend i think is probably snare drum in the floor tom position i've seen a i would lot. say that i would say that and and stacker everyone the one thing that's cool about the stacker trend is that everyone makes their own right. very few people actually go out and buy a stacker so their stacker is whatever they had left over and that becomes their stack um and yeah, I mean, it's definitely not snarky because I use a stacker in my setup, and it's very much so a throwback to Dave Weckl's stacker in um, Back to Basics. So he had a big yeah. old china with a crash in it, and I was never able to stack two crash symbols to get it to sound buttery. I mean, how do you get a stack to sound buttery? And he did that, and I was never able to do that until I um, accidentally put this 20-inch crash uh, with an 18-inch crash underneath it instead of on top of it. Hmm. So the one thing about my – usually when you stack, you always stack the smaller on top so that people know you did something weird. <laughs> right. I'm getting the the reverse where people are like, dude, your symbol sounds horrible. You should, and It's like, well, you can't see, but I have another symbol underneath it. That's it's. But the thing is, one thing a lot of people don't understand with stacking is – you can't just stack two symbols. It, it doesn't. It rarely works. I would say out of Minel's entire setup, there's only a handful of symbols that will actually stack together because yeah. if you want to put the smaller one on top, well, the smaller symbol has to have a bigger bell 
than the bottom symbol, which is already a bigger symbol. Otherwise, they won't fit. Um, yeah. It'll just sit there in the air and go bzzz. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually not an easy thing to, to find symbols that stack. Um, and then if you put the smaller one on the bottom like I do, normally that smaller one is going to have a quicker bow to it. So it actually won't lay flat against the t- the bigger symbol on top. So stacking is not that easy of a thing. That's why companies like Peisty um, introduced yeah. their whole stack setup. Meinl has their own stacks and, and stuff. And Zildjian's so, been doing like a, a pretty heavy campaign about different stacker combinations. If you've seen that, <clears throat> Thomas Pridgen's been demoing, I think it was like October, 30 stackers for October or something like that. Oh, wow. There's a bunch, yeah. just a bunch of really strange combinations, really interesting combinations, really universal that's so, cool. Yeah, I feel like everyone is doing it. It wasn't Weckles. It was like an 18-inch crash with an inverted china on top, like yeah. a 14 or 16-inch yeah. china. Yeah, it was it, it was just weird, but it was buttery. Like Because the modern stacker is really people kind of going for that Matt Halpern, Matt Garska gent sound where you play quarter notes on that. It cuts through the entire mix. So it's a very aggressive stack sound. Um, and actually, to give him some credit, I remember uh, hearing – a really cool stack on Thomas Pridgen when he was playing with uh, Christian Scott. Uh-huh. And it was on, uh, what's that album? Is it Rewind or Rewind That? I don't remember. Um, yeah. Anyways, it was like Christian Scott's, one of his first albums, or I think it was the first album that he used Thomas Pridgen on, and there was a very aggressive stack. And I hadn't heard jazz trumpet with stack. You yeah, know? I was right. like, whoa, this is so cool. So, you know, the stack, so I think the stack in modern rock might go back to your buddy Zach Hill. Because I oh, think really? John Theodore, in his cover story in the magazine when he was in Mars Volta, he referenced Zach Hill, like that that you know just dangerously broken symbols stacked together, That's which kind of yeah. became the Mars Volta sound as well. Right. And so that, you're going and back a number of years at this point. Yeah. I mean, Zach, people don't know this. If you guys don't know who Zach Hill is, he's uh, the drummer for a band called Hella uh, from here in Sacramento. But he's also the drummer for... Uh, Chino Moreno's other group called Team Sleep. Um, and Zach's done a ton of other stuff besides that. But he was in a band that used to gig with my band when we were like maybe 15 called Legs on Earth. And they were they were pretty spot on Primus. Like he yeah. was in the Primus <laughs> band and I was in the Deftones band. Right? <laughs> awesome. and, and we always gig together. And even then he – he was the guy that would have an 8 and a 10 as his two rack toms and so his toms mm. cut through he cranked his snare i didn't i wasn't there yet you know that that like 311 and uh uh no doubt that hadn't even happened yet so he was way yeah. ahead of the curve and then he had cracked cymbals when i had i had i mean i was a kid no endorsements so i had shiny zildjian a customs yeah. and i was like Zach, dude do you do you need like some what is the deal do you need some money what's up man like let's my mom will buy you a symbol and he was like are you kidding like this is it took me so long to get these symbols this wrecked <laughs> yes. and i was like wow okay and i totally didn't get it you know so props to zach for being way ahead of the curve <clears throat> yeah. but yeah i think the stack is a trend for sure now do you have you normally don't have a stack on your kit do you no i don't and i <clears throat> i always i mean depending on on the project i did something a couple of years ago that kind of had like a missing persons type of new wave okay. sound so i wanted that terry bozio kind of like electronic bullwhip thing so i did yeah. a, i had like a thin 20 inch uh ride symbol and i put a 20 no a thin 22 ride symbol and then i put a 20 inch china inverted on top of that and that kind of got me that that bullwhip sound but i usually yeah. don't i mean i've i've tried to embrace the ozone uh sound as a as a mm. middle ground between a crash and a stack or a china but my, I can't ears, do it. my ears just don't hear them. They just don't hear yeah. the sound. I, I hear other people playing them. Like, that sounds beautiful, but I just don't hear yeah. them. Yeah. Mine will make some, um, I think there's just <clears> called <throat> their Trash Crash. Um, mm-hmm. And they have them in the, in the vintage series. So they're sandblasted like Benny's stuff. And I have um I have a sixteen and eighteen and a twenty and I just always I I got them from Minel thinking they would be the great symbol for the bottom or the top of a stack, but I actually I just don't use them and they do sound great but it's not the sound it's I think you and I are in the same boat it's like splashes it's just not the sound I hear in my head it's not yeah. that they aren't good but so what's another current trend obviously snares as toms yeah snares right? as toms I mean I think the we've been in the detuned thuddy snare era for a long time which i think i was thinking about this last night like the first time i heard that and it wasn't like a throwback to the 70s was fiona apple's second record with matt chamberlain matt chamberlain so we're going again we're going back 15 plus years i don't remember when that record came out but 
late like 90s, he, early 2000s. He was kind of going against the grain because everyone's kind of doing ringy, bright snares at the time. And that record had like really thuddy, dark, kind of scary, mystery, mysterious drum tones. Right. For me, that kind of set the and really thin hi-hat cymbals and stuff like that, which no one was doing at the time. But it's like every every indie rock or experimental rock band is using that sound now. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I absolutely love it, but it's 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 not as it's not as exciting and fresh for me anymore to hear that. Right. Like Mute Math, I think that's a great drum sound, but it's like I've heard it. I've heard that sound a lot. Yeah, sure. Sure. So I think that's a current trend. And and that yeah. transferred over into the side snare going from being the popcorn drum to the to the, detuned, the fat. yeah, right. the fat snare, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And it, honestly, when you have it as a popcorn drum, it, it triggers one type of playing. But when you have it as a fat drum, what happens? And I'm just saying this as a drum set clinician. When I when I did have, I actually don't have it tuned like that anymore. But when I did have a fat thuddy snare on my left, I would have it as this thing where when I'm visually looking at my kit, I'm open to soloing my normal way. I'm improvising, and then I look to my left. I see this fat snare, and I think, okay, let's just chill out for a second. And I'm going, I'm blazing, and it's like flatter doom, boom, boom, yeah. And I and it like it, it's kind of like uh, whatever you give kids with ADD. I just take my little pill and it's I just a chill Ritalin out. Drum. It's a Ritalin <laughs> drum. I just I just chill out on Ritalin for like like four bars. And I'm like, okay, I'm good, and back to blazing. So you know, as a side note, this weekend I I did a lot of snare drum testing um, for the magazine and just to kind of get to know my own collection a little bit better. And that detuned sound is one that I love. It's like my favorite snare drum sound ever. <clears throat> but normally people just play it with just a backbeat, no ghost notes, no rolls and stuff. Right. I found <clears throat> the surefire way to test your touch and whether or not you're letting the drum speak is to is to practice on a detuned snare because it's yeah. very temperamental. If you dig the, the, head, the stick into the head even for a millisecond, you lose all that goodness, all that gushy yep. goodness. So it was... Yeah. There was a lot and of it was frustrating too. It was like, why did that happen? It felt like it, you know what, you know what it sounds like when you hit both sticks at once on one yeah. drum, that like it's, hollow pop. It's just like jumping on a trampoline with two people at the exact same time. You don't get the double bounce, right? Yeah, you, yeah. Just, you guys both just have your knees buckle and you fall down. Yeah. It does, like, that happens with your hands. It's like you just fall into a black hole. Yeah. And that's kind of what happens with the thuddy snare if you, if you don't really have a good touch to yep. it. So that's a great way I found yeah. to kind of you know, gauge where my touch is at if I. Because I think I have a tendency to dig into the drum just just as out of habit. So when so, I started playing ghost notes on that, I was like, mm, man, my touch is not really happening today. Yeah, well, and not not just ghost notes, but you know, I don't think a lot of drummers even <laughs> realize how much they blur the lines between ghost notes and then a little buzzed ghost note. Mm-hmm. But those buzzed ghost notes don't happen on a detuned 14. Yeah. You know? So you have to really be careful of that for sure. So um, I think that's a, a trend for sure. Now, going backwards, what do you think some of the trends of the past were? I mean, we've talked about there was definitely a trend, and you weren't a fan of all of it, but there was a trend where the trend was to play your drum set with anything other than drumsticks. And it wasn't just hot rods. I mean, I always think of yeah. Paul Wordico on the Modern Drummer Festival playing with those tubes. Um, all of a sudden, I remember I was a Vic Firth artist at the time, and I remember Roots came out. Then there was like 9,000 different brushes that had little dreadlock endings and yeah, yeah. beads on them. And I was like, what is going on? So that was – and I think, honest to me, I think that was all triggered by Dave Grohl on MTV's Unplugged with Nirvana because oh, we all saw Dave Grohl play – with hot rods in the current heavy rock band. Yeah. And, and it was like, whoa, maybe I could practice with these. And then the worst thing that hot rods did is they bounce like hell. So all my students were like, well, my doubles are awesome on my hot rods. I'm like, well, dude, you're, you're playing with little flubber sticks, man. Of course they are. This thing bounce off of anything. The, my aversion, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of break it down. My aversion to those things is not the, necessarily the sounds they produce. It's, Unfortunately, I I loved the Dave Matthews Band when they when they first came out, and I still have nothing but respect for them. But they were they were a trend that created this whole world of kind of like really uninteresting acoustic rock stuff. Right. Yeah. That and yeah. I felt like every gig I was playing, it was like this sort of jammy, funky acoustic guitar stuff, but it had to be quiet, so I had to use rods and. Right. I just started to associate that sound, that kind of like not really grooving kind of you know, jammy acoustic stuff with yeah. hot rods. So it forever, totally. that's like, oh my God, I'm going to have to play sublime songs with hot rods again or something well, like that. Well, and as a teacher, my my problem with it was 
I'm never going to ch- – my students would feel I'm never going to change the way I play. I'll just change what's in my hands. So if they tell me to bring it down, I'll play with hot rods. If they tell me to bring it down more, I'll play with brushes. But I'm not about to change how I play. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. well, you know you could just bring it down with the sticks by playing softer. Um, we have a whole term for it called dynamics. You're more than welcome to just explore that. And so that was uh, – I, I think as long as people were using it for a, a specific sound. I mean there's a great example on um, – uh, Bobby McFerrin's maybe third album. I'm trying to think of in in vodka. I can't remember the name of it. It starts with an I. Anyways, Omar Hakim's on it, and on one of the tracks, he's playing with hot rods or some sort of bundled sticks, and it sounds fantastic because he's Omar Hakim. He's playing with them because it was a choice to make the music better. Yeah, and it's it's perfect. And then you know, then there's the other thing, which is really the Dave Grohl thing, which is we're gonna go. But even if you watch Dave Grohl do that entire set on MTV's Unplugged with Nirvana. He's not playing like Dave Grohl. He's actually not very delicate the whole time. Yeah, and that's the whole point. Is like I, I want to use anything other than drumsticks. I want to use it for a sound, not for a default. Well, I just can't play any quieter, so I'll grab something that is quieter. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Now, now eight, back eight to inch, the eight-inch toms yeah. would be one from Ooh, yeah. just before that, which <clears throat> I never got an eight-inch tom. I definitely was into the ten-inch rack tom number one. I had the ten. Thing. Well, yeah. I had the ten forever. Yeah. The, but the eight, I could never really. I, I but it's fun whenever I would sit on someone's kit that had it. it it's a fun drum to play, but Dude. it also kind of makes you play a certain way. You can't. Well, yeah. You can't milk a, a half note on a on an no, eight it, inch tom. Yeah, no, it's uh, and you feel <clears> guilty <throat> if you start your fills and they and it doesn't involve the eight. So it's yeah. it's one of those things where it, it like you said it's it's totally different there's two things that happen when i play on a kit that has maybe say 8 10 12 up top like three toms up top is i i definitely start seeing the drum set as more of a, a melodic instrument mm-hmm. and i'm trying to make these little melodies out of these pitches because i generally have a 12 and a 14 they're they're not tuned completely opposite i mean they're they're kind of similar they sound like drums yeah. but when you have 8 10 12 and then maybe two floor toms like 14 16 or 16 18 then you can make i mean that's five toms to make a melody out of it it becomes pretty cool so because mm-hmm. i and the reason i know this is i just uh sat down on uh this brazilian drummer fabiano i think i told you at that festival in mexico he was the guy that had the uh, what's the drum company from mexico odory oh, that's from brazil Brazil, that's what I meant. Sorry, yeah. from Brazil. He was a Brazilian drummer, and so he had an odory kit with 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, and, and he was like, hey, can you check, sound check my kit for me so I can go to front of house? And I definitely didn't play like I normally play. <laughs> but we are getting in some 8 today. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did the small toms thing. Uh, the rack thing I'm totally guilty of. I had a Gibraltar rack. Yeah, uh, I had a rack. I mean, it, it, it definitely serves a purpose if you need a lot of cymbal arms and, and yep. tom arms and stuff, but for... For my usual four piece kit, it would be really kind of goofy to bring a rack in with right. a rack tom and a ride cymbal on it. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I had it. And the one thing I liked about it was I could set up my rack backstage while, say, the opening band was going on. And then when it was time to make the set changeover, I just got two of my buddies. We grabbed yeah. the rack, and all of a sudden, I mean, I, I put my kick on the stage. We'd grab my rack, and then all I had to do was grab snare and hi hat, and I was done. Um, yeah. So I did like that. The only thing I didn't like was that if you didn't really tighten down those memory locks, then when you and your buddies yeah. grab the rack, the whole thing just falls apart. Yeah, that's what I didn't like oh. either because it was always – I had the pearl one, which was more stable. The square one? Yeah. yeah. But the, I, it was just always like don't touch anything because it's going to slide around. It just it, – it felt <laughs> kind of counterintuitive. I did yeah. set up a rack in my studio when I first started recording at home thinking that – it would be a great way to be able to just swap gear out really fast. Like uh-huh. the bass drum has nothing on it, so I can just pull it out. The toms can all use the same. Obviously, none of my toms share the same mount, so that was a, that was a problem. But right. the bigger problem was that the rack actually hums. It actually creates a hum that the microphone. Oh, really? Yeah, they were hearing it. I would if I would I would have had to like tape it up or stuff it with wow. like some fabric or something. So it just like it was making all the cymbal arms ring. Wow. Okay. Well. Let's be uh, a little – let's go Nostradamus here. What is the next trend that hasn't happened yet? And I'm not saying it hasn't happened in the past, but I mean it's not happening right now. I mean we're due to come back to the really bright sound, drum sounds, the you know open, ringy, bright cymbals, open, ringy, bright yeah. snares, no muffling on the toms, clear ambassadors. I mean I think we're kind of – we're due for that sound to come back in some I way. I agree. 
Piccolo's. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time Piccolo has been God. a primary snare drum for anybody? When's the, yeah? When's the last time that a drum company made a Piccolo their primary focus at like Nam? <laughs> like, we just released a fourteen by three. <laughs> it's like, I mean, except for A and F, they're rocking that pancake thing, man. That thing, like, yeah. Well, what, I mean, fifteen by one. They're kind of yeah. They're kind of getting this towards that, and in the opposite, I'm seeing fifteen inch snare drums popping up everywhere now. The major yeah. companies are starting to put them out. Hmm. So that's a. I think that's a another trend of now do you think let me ask you this do you think we've maxed out on hi-hat <laughs> size has it gotten silly enough yet with 18 inch hi-hats and stuff i, I mean and realistically what do you think, do you think the standard is 15s i think have become the you standard. think 15s are the standard yeah yeah i mean every studio drummer i talk to anymore says he uses 15s primarily um or or 16 inch crashes primarily okay so 13s i think have or come become a specialty item for for most people Right, 14s are kind of like the small. Yeah, so I don't think it's going to go any. It can't go any bigger. I mean, it's. I think it, we might go back to heavier. That might be the next thing. Okay, because it's been so yeah, thin so and thin. papery yeah. sound. I think because I did. Um, what did I do? I did a, a session for somebody, and I needed I needed a real heavy hi hat sound. So I used two bottoms, and I forgot okay. how cool that sounds. It actually sounds oh, yeah. really cool. Not to mention how much how much more rebound you get out of the surface. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, oh, we got to slow down on the rolls. I'll play a five-stroke roll on every bar with these things. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's you clean. get a really clean uh, tip sound. Very clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so I think that and might I mean, be another thing, heavier cymbals again. I, th- I definitely think that 14 and 15s in the bag would be, will be the standard. You just have to own yeah. a pair of 14s. I have actually – so the hats that I've been playing for a while are 14-inch Byzance Jazz Thin Hats. And I just got word from Norbert that the 15-inch prototypes of those hats are finished and on their way to me because oh, I cool. ordered those. For, and I ordered them literally on the day that everything broke loose in Turkey. Nice. And, they, yeah. and Norbert was like, uh, I'm sorry, this may take a while. And it's still they just overthrew their government. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, great. <laughs> well, I think I can wait on my hats as long as the people get everything figured out. So, But, um, yeah, I think that um, that's definitely a trend. I also think we need to think about where – where is the drumming? Where is the outlet? So right now, the outlet isn't albums, and the outlet really isn't a lot of gigging and touring. The outlet is 30-second clips on Instagram, little yep. clips on Facebook. So I know that when I switched to that two-mic setup, the response to that was insane. And I think it let a lot of people know, wait a minute, I could do, I could make decent quality videos. And it's like, yeah, yeah if you – now you're gonna have to spend some time on the mixing for sure, um, and I won't lie and say, oh, if you get the crappiest two mic setup in the world, it's gonna sound like mine. It's like there's a reason why that cost difference is there. Yeah, but it will sound fine. I mean, most people are listening through their phones, so it doesn't need to be insane. So I think we'll have, and when you have a two mic setup, you you can't get that close mic, dead direct sound. It's gonna it's gonna have more overtones to it. So yeah. I think that'll lend itself to it as well. <laughs> so I look forward to the future as long as it. You know, one thing that I do like about our current era is that we kind of got back to realizing, you know what? They might have gotten it right in the 1940s. Yeah. Look, can we just have round drums that make good sizes, sounds? Yeah. yeah. So um, what is the goofiest trend that you've you've ooh. experienced or, or gone through? Oh, man. Okay. I want to make sure that it's something that I'm included in so I'm not making fun of other people. I want to make <laughs> yeah. sure I did it as well. I, I would I definitely would say rototoms on my kit. Okay. Um, rototoms to me served a great purpose in like school band because they could do things that no other drum could do. Yeah. Um, but I had them like over my hi hat. But I, I don't know if that's like the goofiest thing. I'm. I don't know. I, I think honestly, the one thing that drove me nuts was the insane. The, and no one would have noticed this, but it was the insanity that happened maybe ten years ago when drum companies like Pearl started letting people make their own shells. That was a trend oh, yeah. where I was like, you are not smart enough as a <laughs> consumer to make your own shell out of two plies of mahogany, one ply of babinga, oh, yeah. uh, sandwiched with one ply of waterfall babinga, <laughs> and can you use like a different glue on the third ply? It's like, holy <laughs> crap. Like, you don't even know what you're doing. So that was a little crazy. And the custom drum thing that I think maybe SJC might be the only one that made it through that. But everyone had the most overly customized drum set, and and they paid a lot for it. And I was like, you customize that so much for yourself, the the resale value is almost nothing. Even yeah. though those are great shells, great <clears throat> drum set, that you know, 
that's that's got pictures of your kids on the rack tom like that's <laughs> yeah no one's gonna buy that from you if you want to get a new kit uh what about you yeah and then what did i live through i mean i think i think the 80s you know ridiculously deep drums and 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 square bass drum sizes like 22 yeah. by 22 Ooh, i forgot about that <laughs> sorry travis <laughs> that might be on you buddy or yeah um, i mean in in him in his case i mean the extra deep hoops too it just hoops, made it yeah. like an absurd instrument i mean it looks great on stage but you can't you can't carry that sucker anywhere okay now you let, let me i might take mine back because the one thing i never got and i was a dw artist when this happened i never got the dw woofer the second bass drum that was only like oh, twelve yeah. inches deep. Did you yeah. ever try that? I mean, I tried it and I was like, "It sounds like a bass drum." Like, I mean, I yeah, I, they sent one when I reviewed a, a kit, you know, ten years ago, and I could definitely hear that it was adding some low end, but it, okay. it certainly wasn't enough to make me buy another case and then carry another piece of gear into a gig. I mean, if I was on, right. in a touring band and I had a you know road cases, sure, whatever. I mean, and, and it came with the mic already installed into it, which was kind of okay. kind of neat. But with the May microphone system, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yep. But you know, I've, I've tried that at home, um, and I've I've seen guys who do it all the time, and they get great results. For me, it just creates a mess. I think my room's yeah. not big enough. It just creates like a just a rumbly mess of sound. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of always felt that way on high end drums with the kick port, which I found to be an amazing thing for crappy bass drums. Yeah, if you took a cheap bass drum through a kickboard in it, all of a sudden you had all that low end. But most really good bass drums already have that low end, so yeah. then it just became so much low end. It was something that I was constantly taking out of my mix. Um, yeah. So, well, I, I don't think I don't think we're headed towards anything goofy. That's my prediction. I think we're in a good place because the problem is right now. If you do anything goofy, you're going to still put it on social media. You're going to get ripped to shreds. <laughs> you know, in the past, people would do goofy things, but nobody knew about it. So it's like, I'll just keep doing it. You so, know, I think the uh, the percussion accessory setup is something that's kind of lost its its favor. Yeah. You know, the jam blocks, cowbells, yeah, wind chimes, triangles. <laughs> yes. You know, the little accessories. Multi-cowbell set. So that might be the thing I want to see someone try to make cool again. Can you make the... <laughs> You know the hey the, man, the, did you see Carter's trap, video? The trap with, table, cool. Yeah, Carter's yeah. video. I mean, that got like seventy thousand views in an hour, man. Yeah, well, that's um, a neat instrument. That's not just that like is a, a Black Beauty cowbell and a red I jam think, block. And <laughs> I think honestly, that stuff, which obviously you're getting that kind of stuff from Revival Drum Shop, uh, then A and F has their thing going. So I think we're entering that that era of like super hipster drum world. And we'll see where it goes. There's going to be a balance, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to have to grow a beard to own your drum set. So I don't want to have to go that far and like uh, wear like plaid, but I button it all the way to the top with my glasses that don't have actual prescriptions in it with my beard. I don't want to go there. That's not <laughs> just so that I can own like your drum set. I, that's not my thing. I can't so. grow a beard, so I can never be one of those. <laughs> You can't, I guess you could just never own a cool cowbell. But but anyways, I think there's a balance in there somewhere. But I, I personally love that stuff. So. I think we could do another trend topic again because I'm thinking of so much stuff now, like the the, the uh, Keplinger effect of little, yeah. little chunks of metal that go over your cymbals and drums. And That's before definitely. that, it was like the uh, goat's toes rattles people were putting on their yep. floor toms. And there's, yeah, there's so many. We could do we could do trends for for a couple episodes. I love it. Well, for now, let's move into our featured artist. This featured <clears throat> artist is the now is he the current drummer for Guns N' Roses or he just was for a time? No, he's been. Uh, I mean, since two thousand six, right? I yeah, believe I guess that's when basically he got in the band. since whenever the Chinese Democracy record actually came out and they went on tour, I'm pretty sure he was the guy. Okay, uh, I don't think Brain ever actually toured. I could be wrong. I don't think Brian ever actually toured with him. He might have did a little bit, but now do you know how to say his last name? I mean, I'm not going to say it in Spanish. It's Ferrer. Okay, I like it. I, it just <laughs> I was like uh, Frank Ferrer, <laughs> Frank Ferrer. So we'll do that. So uh, now, have you? Se- I got to watch. Uh, I watched a few solos of Frank's today, and uh, that dude goes in, man. Yeah, he I mean, can he's, play. A, he's a powerhouse rock drummer. I mean, it Absolutely. was when I heard that they were doing like a, a real Guns N' Roses reunion um, because it was just Axel using the name for a while with, mm. you know, Buckethead was playing guitar. It, it wasn't right. Guns N' Roses. It was sure. Axel Rose and they were playing Guns N' Roses songs. But when I heard they were doing the, you know, getting reunite with with Duff and uh, what's his face? Slash. <clears throat> our, around the office, we're like, who's going to be the drummer? Is it going to be Matt Sorm? Are they going to try to get Steven Adler back in the band? 
And then we found yeah. out, nope, it's not going to be either of those. It's going to be Frank, who was, you know, he was in Guns N' Roses before. So I think that's pretty telling that he's a he's probably, I mean, he seems like a sweetheart of a guy. Dude, he's he's super sweet. I watched a bunch of interviews with him, and he's a total sweetheart. Very well spoken. Um, doesn't yeah. seem like he's been living that rock and roll lifestyle his whole life. You know, he's he seems like a dude that just happens to like rock and roll. And he was talking about his. Uh, he grew up with Cuban-born parents, and they always had salsa music in the house, and he's always dancing. And he said the first rock song that he ever heard, American rock song, was uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And uh, so he was turned on to that, but he didn't. He was so young, he didn't know the band's name. So he didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. He just That was his first rock song. And then he found Kiss, and he thought Kiss, because of their looks and stuff, must be the band that did that song. That crazy oh. song. <laughs> Funny. So he begged his dad to take him to a Kiss concert, and that was his very first concert. Was at Madison Square Garden seeing uh, Kiss. That'll change your life. That'll, and now you're the drummer in Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I mean, there's like there's something there, man. If Kiss is your first concert as a little child, you might end up being the drummer in a big mega rock band. So man, think uh, about that, man. Think the. I remember the the year I got my first cassette tape. It was Easter. I think I was seven or so and it was like <clears throat> i got to go to the store i got to go to it was kmart i got to go to the tape section in kmart and pick out the tape that i was going to get for easter it was the first time ever that i wasn't you know listening to my brother's stuff or my, my parents records so i had two tapes in my hand one was cheap trick the oh. other was living color vivid <sighs> it was like choose your destination which yeah. way am i going to go in life totally and i picked living color and that took me so far down that Hard rock, alternative, punk rock world. If I'd gone cheap trick, I don't know you where would, I would have ended up. And you might not even have ever even known about Living Color because they're just not in the same world. Yeah, you know? it's so um, weird. So think, what and, if his parents would have taken him to see, I don't know, um, who's a, who's someone opposite of, of Kiss? Uh, so let's say it's rock, but Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart, right? yeah. Just straight up rock and roll. Um, but not like that. I mean, it kind of poppy, especially at that time. Rod was a little more doing the pop, the eighties pop thing. Um, or Whitney yeah, Houston. Could, what if it would have been like Whitney okay, Houston? Totally. Where would he have gone? Would he or have they're of Cuban descent. What if they took him to go see Arturo Sandoval at a small club? Yeah. And he now he just becomes like a jazz cat. So <laughs> you never know. I mean, yeah. And my my first album that was ever given to me from my father was Spectrum by Billy Cobham, and and That's I look at my my drumming now, and it's like I'm not a pocket guy. I I made a choice to not be in bands and just to go do clinics and kind of overplay on purpose, but with yeah. being allowed to because I'm doing clinic. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, it, it's funny. Little little choices. My first drum video was I, again. I had a choice. It was it was my birthday. I think I could order one VHS tape out of whatever catalog came in the mail because there was no internet and sure. none of that stuff. So it was either Dennis Chambers' Serious Moves or Simon Phillips. Uh, whatever his first one was called. Man. I picked Dennis Chambers, and it changed. I mean, I, I modeled my entire drumming life after Dennis Chambers. If I would have chosen Simon Phillips, I'd be a totally different player right, right now. I, oh, completely. And my first videotape ever, besides, I, I mean, I would say my first one ever was a was Phil Collins' But Seriously Live um, video. So it was a full concert. So I it was Phil and Chester Thompson for me. But my first drum video ever was somebody worked at a music store and got me the DCI sampler tape that had five minutes of the Dennis Chambers one, five yeah. minutes of Simon Phillips. So I studied all of these guys and thinking like, that guy can play, but he can't really explain. That guy can really explain, but he can't really play. And I, I started dissecting the way they delivered information. And that, wow, that's all I judged. I was never taking something from Dennis and moving it to the kit, I was thinking he could have broken that down way easier and it could have been <laughs> a better funny. explanation. So yeah, it's And I had the opposite. Ev- it was like, I don't care what he says. Just let me watch <laughs> just, him Just play. rip. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny, man. Wow, this should be called psychoanalysis with Mike and Mike. <clears throat> yeah, it's like life, you know, your drumming decision. It's like a, you know, it's one of those books, choose your, yeah. choose your destination. And How old were little- you the first time your dad rose his voice at you? Let's get into it. Let's oh talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, know. man. Can Let I me... give you one quick life-changing story from my pops? Sure. Go for it. So my, my pops uh, passed away when I was 26, and it's like it's definitely not a sad thing. He was my best friend in the world, and by the time he passed, we had nothing to make up for. We didn't have to have some weird talk. Mm-hmm. Of like, sorry I wasn't there. It was like, hey, pops, I love you. I'm a man now. You got to see the person I'm going to become. 
let's go out strong. So anyways, when I moved in with him when I was like 16, so I was either I think I was a junior in high school and I just couldn't take living with my mom anymore. I just couldn't take the rules and restrictions and my dad was a hell's angel, so I was like, okay, mm. I'm going to go live with my dad. It's going to be cool. <laughs> right. And my mom was always on my case about do your chores. You can't play the drums until you get your chores done. And I just hated doing chores. So anyways, it's first week living with my pops. And uh, he goes, all right, Michael, I need you to mow that lawn. Lawn needs to be mowed by the time I get home. I'm like, you got it, Dad. And I'm thinking, just like, I- I'm not doing it. There's no way I'm mowing the lawn. I don't even know how to start the lawnmower. <laughs> I've never done any labor in my life. So I don't. He comes home from work. And I'm like, ooh, pops is in a good mood. Everything's great. He did not even mention it. And he wasn't mean to me at all. Everything was cool. Good. We have great night dinner. Uh, watch a little movies on the couch. Go to bed. I fall asleep. He wakes me up at about midnight. I've been asleep for two hours. This is a school night. And he goes, all right, let's go. And I'm like, what's up? And he has a pair of scissors in his hands. Takes me out in my boxer shorts, front yard, and I had to cut the grass with scissors for about an hour by hand. One blade of grass at a time. And he just stood out there. I'm in my boxers, no shirt, no socks oh, or anything. He had Midnight. planned that one out. Oh, yeah. You. He was so excited when that grass wasn't cut. <laughs> he just couldn't wait. I'm just lucky he didn't put a dog shock collar on me, too, and zap, zap me. Uh, and I, I, I never disobeyed a chore order from him again. Because it wasn't like mean. I mean, he didn't hit me or anything. And he didn't yell at me. He just said, all right, we're cutting the grass. I don't care how it gets done. It's getting done. <laughs> You don't know how to start the lawnmower? Here's some scissors, kid. So, by the way, I can start a lawnmower now if anyone needs any help. That's amazing. So you should definitely check out Frank Frank from Guns N' Roses. Uh, Say his last name again so I can get it locked in. No, I'm going to get it wrong. I think it's Ferrer. 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 Frank, please call us and tell us how to say your name. My apologies. He's in the January issue uh, that's just out now, and he's, he's... I would. I need to go see him because I. I was a huge fan of Steven Adler <clears throat> when that when Appetite for Destruction came out. I was that was. I loved the way his drums sound, and then yeah. Matt Sorum for me brought a like a certain professionalism that was really cool. Yeah, I think unfortunately the November Rain uh, drum fill kind of ruined. Right, like I mean, it just he had to play that fill eight hundred times in that song, but everything else he played at that band on those two records, I I loved. I studied the crap out of it, and he was great in the Cult. So yeah, and that, he was a great showman as showman as well. Yeah, um, so he fit the part. House. But and and Frank, I mean, I watched a bunch of videos of him uh, leading up to this, and he's got that thing. Like, there's this thing that rock and roll drummers have of it's reckless abandonment and control at the same time. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. you either have it or you don't. And yeah, Frank was born to be a rock and roll drummer, and and he's a flat out rock star. But what I really liked about him is he doesn't carry it over. It doesn't seem like he's carrying it over to his personal life because I watched actually probably more interviews with him than I did drumming videos. And the dude is a stand-up gentleman. He holds mm-hmm. he holds his own as a gentleman. So uh, definitely check out Frank. You can, One good thing about that is you can just type his name into Google or into YouTube and you'll find a ton of videos of him obviously out on the road with, uh, with Guns N' Roses and you'll get to see some drum solo stuff. Uh, but you can also find those interviews that I'm talking about and you can learn a little bit more about his life. So check out Frank. All right, let's get into some gear review. Now, no one gets to hear this review because <laughs> it is a visual. And... Uh, this is my personal hot rod. Um, yeah. And so you have, I'm going to give you 10 minutes to convince me otherwise. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so is the company, uh, now I have nothing against the company, obviously. So this is the drum light led system. Yeah. And I know that you've, you've actually used this. Like, yeah, this yeah, isn't I, just I, a gear review thing, right? Yeah. No, they, um, I, I met them at NAM. um, and just really cool guys. And at the time, I mean, they're young guys, just drummers who just, figured out how to make LED strips work in a, in a drum set. They So what they do is they get your sizes from you and they pre-cut the strips for each drum and they pre-cut the cable length so it all, there's not like a ton of excess wires and it all, okay. it all it's all connected to one snake. So you don't have like individual cables everywhere. And it, you know, it hooks into a controller that you can, you can change the colors, you can change the, the, the flashing or the fading or the randomness of them, the speed of it. It's pretty darn cool. So yeah, I met them at, at Nam, and I told them I have this old Vista Light kit. I've got a, a little oh, wow. Vista That's perfect. kit from the '70s, the Tequila Sunrise, the red, orange, and yellow, uh, triple colored shells. So I'm like, I, I need to put these in these drums and just because those drums originally came with lights, but they were like a, 
you know, like Christmas lights, and they had just uh-huh. they disintegrated after thirty right. some years. They just they were just disintegrated. <clears throat> so I put them. I you know I I wanted to get a set in and, and review it for the magazine, and also just see what these drums would look like with with the actual lights in them, like they're originally intended. Yeah, and it, it's cool. I mean, it's if you play an acrylic kit, I think it's just another way to kind of up the the vibe because you can. It doesn't have to be like a strobe light. You don't have to have it. You can make it real subtle, like the orange. I think it's I think it's orange or an amber. It just looks like Christmas lights. You can make it subtle, so it's just like a yeah. just a little bit of atmosphere. <clears throat> this is a really cool. I mean, I I I'm not a a visual drummer per se, but when I put these in in that particular kit, I was like, yep, yeah, these kind of have to stay. I mean, it's it's kind of a cool vibe. And well, the other thing I was thinking about with them is they might be cool, like you said, it could be subtle. I, mean, I guess obviously my hot rodism against them is probably due to what I do for a career. Like I'm not going to have lights in my kit while I'm teaching an online video. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, and I'm not gigging. So I think it would be a very different animal if I was gigging and my entire job was to pump people up and to ha- make people have fun. Yep. But when you said subtle, one thing I thought of was like, man, these would probably be actually really subtle and really amazing if you had clear heads on a regular drum set. Yeah. And, and they make them for that too. It's a slightly right. different setup. That, so I mean, I think that would be really glow. cool. It's like, whoa, is his, are his heads glowing? Yeah, I think yeah. that could be cool too and, and a little less um, carnivalistic. Yeah, and there's is a guy – the guy <laughs> carnivalistic, carnivalized. I don't know what you're trying to say. But, I don't either. <laughs> but there's a guy that I work with a lot who, you know, he saw the video and he's like, yeah, you got to use those on gigs because it's just it's just a one extra thing that's yeah. that looks badass. And you can set it what, – what I'm going to do is set it, you know, before the show, it's off. But then, you know, right before you take the stage, you can set it on the real subtle light setting, and it's oh, a remote cool. control. You can do it from off stage, so it's oh, just really? kind of like bringing up the candles on on the stage for everybody. That's pretty cool. And then you okay. get back on. You can. Okay, you're you convincing know. me. I mean, so I don't, let me... I'm not going to have it like going nuts and flashing. That would sure. never be what I do when I'm playing like 80 BPM, you know, right. straight rock beats with the uh, lights flashing. Whole front rows going into seizures. <laughs> like, did I do that? So. Let me ask you this. Let's say you have a standard uh, five-piece kit. What is the cost of something like this? It's really surprisingly not too bad. So <clears throat> the controller itself is 50 bucks. Okay. And then um, a six-inch tom is 15 bucks. So it goes from like 15 bucks for a 16-inch tom up to 90 bucks for a 28-inch bass drum. Oh, cool. So it's not, it's not too bad. A few hundred bucks of an investment i think would get your whole kit yeah and i would think at least the bands that i've been in things like that actually became not drum cost but band cost you know we rolled it into like stage Uh, lighting it just happened to be on my instrument but i was like okay can we take you know 200 bucks out of the band pot to to pay for this you know because it's not for me it's for us to have a better show so i could totally see that that's awesome i think they offer the um some sort of controller that you can actually control with your MIDI. If you have MIDI lights for your stage yep. show, you can you can wire it into that. But the most important thing that I want to make sure I talk about is the installation. It's just a double-sided tape. So there's no screws, there's no hooks. It just sticks inside the shell. So and it I doesn't gotcha. it doesn't move. So you can take them out if you need to. Um they won't necessarily stick again after you remove them that first time, but <clears throat> I like the impermanence of it. So I put them in the drums. They're cool. Maybe next year I don't want to have wires poking out of my, my toms anymore. I'll just I'll just take them out. It's not like I had to do anything special. Right. It didn't take you long. You know, I'm looking at um, on Sweetwater. They have it for 12-rack uh, tom, 14-inch floor tom, and 20-inch um, bass drum with controller for 200 bucks. Yeah, it's not bad at all. So, and it's yeah. LEDs, so they're not going to burn out like Christmas lights would if you're doing yeah. that. That's cool, man. Very cool. Well, definitely check it out, guys. So it's called the Drumlight uh, LED system. And if you literally just type in Drumlight LED to any search engine, you'll find uh, all of the stuff you need. So check it out. All right. Well, let's get into some listener questions. <coughs> After I choke on some coffee. Jeez. Come on, buddy. <coughs> oh, yeah, take your time. <laughs> One of these days I'll be healthy again. One oh, of these days. You know, you do it in in a slow burn. I just pass <laughs> out and go face first into the tile floor <laughs> yeah. and then have to you, yeah. deal with everyone's email. I, I do it all at once. <laughs> but you just you just have like a subtle cough for six months. Uh, we're a great I team. I don't we're know what's better. Team. I think I would I would take one day of um is he gonna die over <laughs> Yeah. 
<laughs> it's like, hey, he lived, but he's he's a picture of health now. All right, there we go. Uh, All right, so what do we got here? Our first question is from JC. It says, um, basically, he's been recording and playing drums in indie rock and pop projects for a couple of months in his home studio. So he's he's trying to dial in his his mix. So. Um, what do the two of you have in your monitor mix when you're recording in your studios? Um, how do you route the signal with your audit, with your interface? Do you use a separate mm. mixer to avoid lat- latency, or do you use the no latency option within your software? Please discuss. That's a great <clears throat> question. That is a great question. It is. Do you have a particular? Because you got a new setup. Did you mess around with your monitor mix? Yeah, actually, I by messing around, what I did was I. I got rid of my monitor mix as a mix. And what I mean by that is I flattened all the channels um, volume-wise so that whatever is coming through my ears is what is going to tape and it's what everyone's hearing. So um, I try to be really careful. Like if I'm going to turn up – if I want a little more kick in my ears, I actually don't turn up the monitor kick. I turn up the actual kick because I want to always be hearing what's actually happening. Um, Okay. So yeah, so I'm going out of my Behringer. Um, uh, what do I have? The uh, XR32 rack or the X? The hell is it? Yeah, the X32 rack system. So I'm going with that, and I'm taking that out of the back of that. That goes to a little two-channel mixer that's sitting right by my kit. Mm-hmm. So I have a volume knob, um, and so I'm getting a stereo mix out of that, and then I can control that mix from my iPad. So the Behringer okay. is sending out its own Wi-Fi signal. And yeah, I have all of my channels are completely at zero, um, you know, no plus or minus dBs, and that's my monitor mix. Nice. And that way, anything I change that I'm hearing in my ears, that's what's happening to the people that are watching at home during a live broadcast. And then, but yeah, as far as I think he's talking about something different that you probably have to deal with, where you're actually monitoring from your DAW, and I don't do that at all. So yeah, um, what I do is I don't. Um well, actually, I just I just got a new computer, so this might all change once I finally what? get that set up. Yeah, finally, nice. my my 2008 MacBook Pro, no, 2006 MacBook Pro is finally going to be uh, <laughs> retired. <laughs> I think it's 2006, nice. 2008. Great job, remember. man. So yeah, so with with my current computer, it, the you know it's just not fast enough. It doesn't have enough RAM, and the processor's not fast okay. enough. Sure. So I can't monitor. You know, straight so, into the software. What I monitor okay. through is the the interface came with its own software, and I'm sure most of them do that its own um, direct monitoring feature. So it has its own separate application that you open, and it gives you a, a mixing board, and you can you know, you can balance all the channels. Okay, so that sounds I'm, pretty much like what I'm doing. Yeah. So when I'm recording, I I monitor the drums through that app. But then I'm listening to the whatever tracks I'm playing to through Ableton Live is what I'm using at the time right now. Okay. So there's gotcha. there's no latency involved in that. Um, right. <clears throat> but then I run – I don't the interface. I just run into a mixing board, an old mixing board I've had that I have speakers wired up to on one of the auxes. And then I have my uh, – I actually use uh, wireless in-ears for, for recording. So I have the – you know the cables coming out of the back of the mixer into the wi- the wireless system, and then I just wear a body pack because I was uh, I was damn near ripping my ears off. You know, getting up oh, to isn't that the worst to like change a snare drum and you the kind cables. of forget about it. Yeah, oh. <clears throat> stuck oh. on something. And then you have so, to like touch your ears to feel if they're still there. Oh, yeah, one oh. too many times and having cables get ripped out of headphones and stuff. Yeah. So it's like all right, let me just hook up some some wireless wireless pack. wireless nice. pick. So that's what I'm using. Well, hopefully we confused you a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I think that, uh, depending, it, depending on what the hardware is that you're recording into, that's kind of what changes it. Cause, yeah. uh, even if I had a two channel, uh, USB interface, I would still probably go out of the outs of that, or I mean, out of the, the, the headphone out of that because I wouldn't want to deal with any latency. So yeah, yeah, I think there's most- nothing, if people haven't experienced latency, it's the worst Oh man! When I first well, okay, that's a that's another discussion. When I was started doing um, tracking with my electronic drums and doing using drum sample software in the early days of BFD Oof. and and yep. tune track stuff, <clears throat> I couldn't get rid of the latency. Like it, it felt yeah. like I was having like it felt like I would got shot with with morphine or a tranquilizer. Like I just kept slowing down. So yep. what I ended up doing for that was running the 
you know, I'm, I'm recording via USB MIDI into the software, but I don't listen to the sample software when I'm tracking. I actually right. run the audio out of the back of the electronic kit into the mixing board. And so then, then I'm blending that with the sound coming from my interface that's giving me the, the song that I'm playing to. I'm not, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not listening to BFD or TuneTrack as yep. I'm recording. No, I'm with you, man. I, I, I went through that too, and it was, it was an absolute nightmare. And I mean, I started triggering way back in the day, but I was triggering not just for sound, but also to trigger my throne, my little butt kicker. But yeah, um, when they would give that back to me in the monitor, I was like, uh, it's like a 30-second note off every time. And like you said, you just feel like you have to slow down to him. Well, cool. Yeah, well, hopefully that helps you a little bit, buddy. Or not. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Uh, All right. This one comes from, from Juan. This is interesting. So he says, uh, I play a regular right-handed kit with an open technique. I've noticed that from my use of the push-pull method of playing hi-hats aggressively with my left hand, I seem to have a bigger left arm bicep than on my right. I'm actually a right-handed person. But I find that open playing is more comfortable. Um, so his question is, do you guys have any muscle imbalances as far as one limb being bigger than the other, whether it's arms or legs? What no. do you do about it, and do you care? No. Well, I would kind of care. I mean, if I had some yoked-out bass drum calf and a little <laughs> tiny, wimpy hi-hat calf, um, I got to say, I mean, I, I spend a decent amount of time in front of a mirror flexing my calves, and they're pretty spot on each other. <laughs> I've compared them in different photo shoots and everything. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, I noticed it with – because I'm a, I'm a huge professional tennis fan. You okay. see it more often. Like Rafael Nadal, his left arm, he has like a lobster physique. Really? Like his left arm is – I don't know. I can't remember the name of that, that crab. It has like the huge claw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking claw. about. Yeah, and the little tiny other one. Yeah. His left arm huh. is huge compared to his right. He's left-handed. I'm He's left-handed, yes. Wow. So, I mean, I think when yeah. you're doing something like that, when eight hours a day you're only using your left arm, you know, yeah. like that's, maybe. I mean, it's weird that it's a bicep, though. That's just not a drumming muscle, you know? I mean, your shoulder is an endurance muscle to keep it in the air while playing. Like, if you're a jazz drummer and you don't tuck your elbow in, your, your shoulder's holding your arm up all night long. So I could see that a little bit. I could see maybe a little forearm if he was a wrist only and not a finger player. But bicep? Like, yeah, I don't. Do I don't. Cutting, like, yeah, I don't think drumming is, is causing that. I don't see how it could. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's something else going on in his life. Like, I think he's just constantly saving women that fall off of a cliff, and he grabs <laughs> them with his right arm and pulls them back up. So I think he lives near a cliffy, cliffy area, and there's a lot of people. I think that's what's going on. So you <clears> yeah, just have Juan, to pull some people know. up off the cliff left-handed. <laughs> I don't. I. I don't. First of all, I don't. I don't think of drumming as being a muscular activity no. i mean it's kind of it's more of anything it's a flexibility reflexes yep. kind of an activity so i don't i don't know what you would have to be doing you'd have to be, I, yeah i mean i don't play like speed metal or anything where i'm like maxing out my muscles every yeah. every five minutes but. well and even the people that i know that are pretty like a, a good example of somebody that's pretty juiced up and i don't mean that in a fake way i just mean he's pretty ripped would be uh, eloy casagrande for sepultura yeah that's a ripped kid but that's because he works out every day. That's not like because he's in Sepultura and he's like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't touched a weight in my life. I just keep <laughs> playing and now I'm, you know, the Hulk. So, um, uh, but yeah, that's two questions in a row that we have no help for. Let's see if we can bang out a third. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I think I we probably have muscle imbalances in both of our legs without even, you know, like the front of our our cat our shin muscles are probably overdeveloped by yeah. comparison to our our quads. I don't know, but. <laughs> I don't. I don't see it. I don't have. A, I don't see a Rafael Nadal effect on too many. Not drummers. on me. Yeah. No. <clears throat> All right. So let's go with um, Dan. Uh, let's see. This came in a while ago. So sorry. We're just now getting to it. Um, so he says he's been a church drummer his whole life. Um, he j- he just turned forty, and his dad. He's a dad of two young boys uh, okay. who are really involved in sports. So he coaches that, and he has a full time job. So. Obviously, not a lot of time available to practice. So what advice do you have when getting in practice time and maybe some ideas on what to work on with the limited time I have during the week? He rehearses twice a week with his church group. Okay. Well, the first thing, and uh, if you've listened to all 72 episodes of the podcast, hopefully you know that I rarely promote uh, my website or anything. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You're awesome. 
now let me ask you because I haven't listened to the last ten episodes. Do you do you edit out your coughs or yes, do you leave them I've in? I've had to edit out every freaking cough in the past three weeks. So people don't even know why I just start randomly laughing. <laughs> I don't want to scare people to death. I mean, it's uh, like a shock when this. Yeah, thing yeah. you see this giant wave file. You're like, <laughs> it's take a that out. Violent explosion of my lungs. Uh, okay, so back to the question. Um, <laughs> I, I would honestly suggest something like one of the courses on Mike'sLessons.com, and here's why. It's really nice. I, I would either do one of two things. Start with a course so that you're actually chipping away at something and you're making progress that's measurable and you know, cool, I, I've moved on to the second video. I've moved on to the third video. And one course may take you five or six months, but at least you know you're moving forward. The other option would be the complete opposite, which would be take that time and just have fun. Sit down on the kit, play your favorite songs, use it as a vacation from a busy life and enjoy the drum set. So those would be my my two options. Um, and you would have to decide which is better for you. And maybe you split up the time. Maybe a couple days a week you're working on a course. Um, you know, I have hand speed courses, foot speed courses, independence courses, grooves courses, fill courses. So I would start there just so you have something that you know, like, cool, I made it. I got to press complete and continue, and I'm on the third video now, and you can measure your progress. Um, I think that would be a, a good way to go. What do you got, bud? Yeah, Take I your- mean, that's it. I think it's... Um- it comes down to just setting little tiny goals and achieving them because then you're able to like say, okay, I did that this week. I learned how to play a waltz this week. I learned how to play a mambo this week. I, I mean, that's I would probably approach it with musical styles, but that just depends on what you're interested in. Because I think right. getting you know getting a styles book, that's like, okay, I can learn the blues shuffle. I can learn the this or that. It's not going to take you six months to work up the technique to be able to do some of this stuff. Right. That'd be one option. Um, yeah, and and you could take that, apply that, like you said, to the same thing. Like pick pick a song a week that you just want to play, you just want to master, you want to learn every 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 nuance of it. Yeah, and the cool thing with the songs, the song thing is, you could also then do it in the car. You can listen. You know, to me, yeah. listening is practicing if you're listening with intent of how to break something down. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Boom. All right, pick uncle. of the week time. All right, buddy, <clears throat> go for it. Let's see if I can make it through without hacking. <laughs> all right so i was reviewing or i was just checking out this there's a company called super drum I don't know if you've heard of him super drum super drum yeah he it's no. um it's guy dave he's he's in la but he makes um 12 lug snare drums and they're called the super drums kind of kind of okay. interesting uh, but that's not my pick of the week i mean it was a, it was a fun drum it was an eight by 14 steel uh snare drum but okay. he had a triple throw off on there that had three different types of wires so it had like you know a, a third a third of it was the regular snappy wires a third of it was coded cable and a third of it was like guitar string type uh cables okay so my pick of the week is if you want to make your snare drum sound dark and kind of like old marching band kind of sound Get some of these guitar cable wires, which uh, Grover Pro makes a ton of different options of it. Okay. And I'd use those. I mean, I used them in when I was doing a lot of symphonic work. That's kind of like the sound of, of a symphonic snare drum. It's it's mm-hmm. not super high endy and rattly and it doesn't buzz a lot, but it's, it's really articulate. And you can still yes. get a really cool sound, but it's darker. It's like a darker, meatier snare sound. So it kind of... Like I, I, I want to put this was on like a eight by fourteen steel snare drum, okay, and it made it sound like an old field drum, um, wow, but still kind of usable and it really recorded really well. So I actually have a, a chunk of the video where, I went for that gushy sound, super low batter head. I threw a, a muffling ring on it, and I just engaged these guitar cable, these guitar string snares, okay, and it just had like a really cool sound, like a wow. dark lo-fi kind of old vintage sound um, so yeah go out no grover pro makes them so check out some of their wires that's i think it's an overlooked uh, accessory is have different types of snares at your yeah. disposal so have your regular snappies get some gut get some of these guitar cable ones and you can change your drum extremely with with the wires so that's, that's the, cool that's the audio i'm going to drop in is just and this is only i think maybe six guitar cables it's not the full wires Okay. So it's a little it's a little less uh snary, but still I love the way it sounds. It kind of gave me like an ACDC vibe right away. Let's give it a listen.
Nice. I'll check it out. So my pick of the week this time is something kind of funny. So do you remember last week we were talking about – it was on um, – well, we were, I guess we talked about it on Thursday. But we were talking about uh, using a power adapter or a power supply with the uh, Beatnik. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. And I was saying that, like, I, I thought the readings were a little off when the batteries were starting to die. Yep. Okay. Our podcast comes out on Fridays, right? Yep. Friday morning, I had a private drum lesson with Buck August, our good friend. Yep. So, um, so Buck comes in and he brings me a Christmas present, and um, he's kind of smiling, and I'm like, "What's up, man?" And he's like, "Open it." He was at the camp where everything went bad with the batteries. Yeah. He bought me a power adapter for it, but hadn't heard the podcast yet. Oh, that's weird. And I was like, bruh, have you listened <laughs> to the podcast yet? And Or maybe he listened to it on the way. That's why he was smiling because he was like, I listened to the podcast, but I bought this for you like a month and a half ago. <laughs> and so, and the drive is like three hours. So he listened to the podcast during the drive while he's holding a present of what that's I'm like, really, I should get a power fun. adapter for that thing. <laughs> so uh, that was uh, – and he also got me one of those uh, wood heads from – Index. Index, yeah. So I've got that on the drum right behind me on one of my Gretsch snare drums. So thank you, Buck, for my Christmas presents. And uh, yeah, my, my readings are – um, well, I can't say that it's the pad's fault anymore. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what my score is, but let's just say I have to swallow it, and that's what it is. That is my timing. So, uh, so wouldn't the batteries after all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was a little bummed at 32% accuracy. I'm like, God, I feel, I feel like I've really put in 35 years of practice. I should be able to a little – so now I'm at a much more respectable rate. So, so what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is get a power adapter for the dang thing, man. It's awesome. <laughs> if you have the beat in it, go get a power adapter. <laughs> or call Buck August and have him drive to your house and have him bring you uh, a power adapter. Amazing. Um, yeah, because I what the good thing about the power adapter is I didn't have to practice, but I got way better. Mm-hmm. The, the score just skyrocketed. <laughs> just immediately. Yeah. 30% So my confidence is through the roof, and I'm like, yeah, I just improved by 30%. <laughs> More than that, everyone. I did, I, I'm not at 60% accuracy. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please, if you get a chance, go on to iTunes or Podcast One or wherever you get this podcast. Give us a favorable review. That helps other people find this podcast so we can keep doing it. Episode 72 in the books, my hey, friend. So we might not be able to do one next week. We should probably give everyone the preemptive warning. It is Christmas oh, week, and it looks like your and I's schedules might not completely aligned you so. know people lose their minds when we miss something yeah we'll try because you're gone right you're gone i'll be i yeah i mean I, I i can be gone as far as whatever works better for your situation do you want me to be gone because <laughs> i don't want to say i can do it and then you're like great now i have to do it um no i think i will be gone so i we would either have to do it from the road or whatever but i think maybe we can throw together like a best of or we'll just do two the next week yeah i mean it's a good chance we're not going to have one out next friday so we might do the following monday again so again. merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas to everyone. We'll see you afterwards. We'll talk about all the goodies that we have. Yes. Yes. We'll talk about our new weight gain. It'll be awesome. (laughs) All right, buddy. Have a great week. All right. See you. Later, brother.